The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate world. the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. By the way, let me apologize to the radio audience. I was doing a bunch of stuff, and the, the time was down, and I kind of frantically <laughs> moved around here while the music was going on, uh, our pre-show music, which is uh, by Leah. You can find her at uh, Leah Music. I think that's what it is. Leah Music Bandcamp. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Bandcamp.com. You can find her music there. And uh, she's been very gracious to give us um, uh, permission to use the music here on um, on the broadcast for our pre-show music. So I do apologize to you guys in, in, at Red State uh, for that. But if you want <clears> to <throat> check us out online, 
Go to SignsLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to find two videos at the top of the page. I don't know why. I guess I didn't refresh this, uh, but because uh, it's still got Saturday's show up there. Okay, there it is. And uh, the one on the left is Bradley's show from Saturday, two hours worth of Bradley Dean. And also the one on the right is where we're at. And so uh, you can watch Bradley up until 3 o'clock today, Eastern, and then he'll be live there. And then on our side, on the right side, is uh, where you click on the play button. Blow it up on whatever device you've got, and then there's a rumble icon in the bottom right. You can click on that, and you can join us in the chat there. By the way, we are streaming to rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's our channel. Please subscribe there. Also, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page, and dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. Right up under where we're streaming is where you can sign up for our newsletter. You get one of those a day. That comes in the evening time, uh, around 7, 8 o'clock, something like that. And uh, if you want our ministry email, which has exclusive content, then you can uh, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You sign up right there on the front of the page. And then also, if you'd like to help keep us out there doing what we do, there's a donate button at the top of the page. You can click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And uh, we appreciate all of you guys who help uh, keep us out there doing what we're doing. Uh, at the same time, the store is open. And again, we have lots of uh, conversation starters and equipping tools. This week we're highlighting again the prayer that rocked the Capitol DVD. Uh, this goes back some years, but it shows you just how the Mockingbird media works in time. Once they get the memo to go out, um, you know, you basically have 2,000 media outlets attacking Bradley after his prayer at the Capitol there in Minnesota in 2011. And you'll see. And then you'll see how the politicians respond, both the quote-unquote right and left, the Democrat and the Republican both of them spineless, both of them lawless, uh, both of them at war with God. And then you'll see what they think should be up there. This panty-waisted, syrupy, milk-toast, you know, pansy kind of guy who calls himself a minister of God, a member of the clergy, uh, who comes there and doesn't even address who he's praying to. Uh, but they like that guy because he tickles their ears and makes them feel good. If you want to pick up that DVD and check it out, uh, now's the time to do it. For don It's normally a donation of $20. This week only through Saturday at midnight. You can get 30% off. Excuse me, 30% off by using the promo code PRAYER. So it's pretty simple. PRAYER gets you 30% off, and that's through Saturday at midnight. Now, uh, there's a couple of videos <laughs> I want to show you. And um, this first one, uh, I'll tell you, for some people... It may seem a little annoying, and maybe the guy could have, maybe he could have handled it a little different. I'm not going to deny he he could have. This is this guy Alex Stein. Now you guys have seen him. Now at first, when I first saw Alex, there was uh, some kind of thing he was doing there in Texas, I believe it was, uh, before a county commission or city commission, something like that. And he was actually kind of mocking the situation about shots and things. And I thought he was serious. I thought he was just a serious guy out there. And then I come to find out he's kind of a a guy who uses that kind of satire to make the point there for the people. And he's really good at it because it's almost, it's sometimes it's really believable. But here he is at uh, CPAC. And look, I have no affection for CPAC. I think CPAC is nothing more than uh, marketing and propaganda for those who call themselves on the right all right, who in many cases are just as lawless as the left, just in a different way, but they're just as lawless as the left. And uh, we know who they're run by, um, Norquist, and in his deal to kick out people who would who would call out certain things, uh, he, he won't let them in. So here's Alex, and he is uh, trolling 
a reporter by the name of Tess Owen, and she's with Vice. And look, sometimes some of these outlets have some decent stuff they come out with that are actually true. And some of them, they're just used as propaganda. There's no question about that. But look at, you know, and you guys will hear it on Red State Talk Radio. Listen to how he trolls this woman. And this is the only woman, the only person in the building that I saw who has a mask on. And I think it's to hide her mug because people would think, you know, figure out who she is. Anyway, this is him trolling Tess Owens. Take a listen. So this is the vice reporter. You can tell the only one in a mask here. So how are you doing? Just doing my job. She's here trolling everybody here. So she's the only one here in a mask, and she's just saying negative stuff. I can't believe they let you in here. Do you feel like a lion or sheep in the lion's den? Um, I have credentials to be here. Yes, so do I. But I'm saying, see, this is vice, guys. This person, she's trying to troll this event. She thinks all of you guys are losers. That's what she posts on the internet. She posts the most most out of context stuff. See, vice is the worst media company there is. They're all liars. So what do you think about your crappy media company? Just do my job and if you have a problem with me being here, you can take it up with CPAC. I know, but don't you think Vice is a bunch of liars? No, I'm very proud of Oh, you're proud of, you know, you guys mainly talk about drugs. Are you are you a drug addict too? Like all the Vice content you make? Guys, this is a Vice. Guys, this person, she's a loser right here. She's the only one in a mask. You see this? This is what a loser looks like. She's got her coronavirus. How many vaccines do you have? Are you on, are you on your fifth vaccine? It's none of your business. Oh my, oh it's not? So why do you want to mandate them if it's none of my business? Are you pro-vaccine mandates? Oh, it's none of my business, but she's pro-vaccine mandates. Guys, you see this? This is what a vice journalist looks like. She comes here. This is what a vice journalist looks like in her little mask at the conservative event. Now she's scared and getting attention. I'm getting Look married in two weeks. That's why I'm Oh, oh, that's great. You're getting married. I wonder how many vaccines she has. Is your husband, is he vaccinated? Is he vaccinated too? Why don't you put this on your vice? Why don't you put this on your vice? You get, see, vice won't, they won't cover primetime 99 Alex Stein. See, vice is a liar. She's a liar. And then when you call her out, she walks away. She's scared. She's the only one in a mask here. She probably has the coronavirus and the viral shedding. You guys see, this is a vice journalist. It's a lying media company. So do you feel uncomfortable now being here? I don't feel uncomfortable. I'm just here to do my job. Well, I don't want to get viral shedding, but how many vaccines do you have? <laughs> do you think Joe Biden's a good president? What does She's shaking her head like I don't know. I'm do ten. I don't know. Well? Why are you? Why? Yeah. Oh, oh, look at this advice. Advice alert. Advice alert. Let's get a photo. Young Prime Time 99. The Vice is a lying media company. They lie. Yeah, I'm so am I. See, I'm a credential reporter. Oh, oh, you see? Yeah, I'm a credential reporter too. Oh, I'm Vice. I'm a liar. Huh? These guys are cowards and liars. Isn't that isn't that interesting? Uh, I, so this I, is whoops, the vice. I'm sorry about that. Isn't that interesting? I'm a credential reporter. I'm a credential. Who cares? Are you telling the truth? That's the that's the real issue. I don't care what your credentials are. Your credentials could be coming from Donald Trump for all I know, and we know how that goes. Your your credentials could be coming from Joe Biden. It could be coming from anybody. Are you telling the truth? That's the question. I I really for many for most people that I think are out there they don't care who you're credentialed by they care are you telling the truth are you speaking the truth or are you propagandizing are you look I can tell you conversations I've had with a particular gentleman 
and um, he runs a radio station, and he's told me very popular conservatives have put content out to their the listeners because it jacked the numbers up, even though they know they were being had. But they jacked the numbers up to bring on people who were plants, who were controlled opposition, who were all this kind of stuff. They knew it, and they did it anyway. And some of you would know the name if I named it, if I named her. You would know her. I've been on the show before. You would know it. And they do it anyway. And most of you know this. I'm not talking to an ignorant audience, I don't think. At least the people I see in chat, most of the time, know exactly what's going on. In fact, many of you guys know better than I do as to what's going on. Here's another one. This is out of uh, Pino County and what just took place there in their elections. I want you to take a listen at this report. They said, well, if you want to vote Republican, we're out of ballots. The ball was dropped at the uh, polls. Voters, candidates, and county officials left wondering how there was so much confusion on primary day in Pinell County. They didn't really care. Heads need to roll. This election already overshadowed by another ballot mistake, causing voters in certain municipalities to need a supplemental ballot. It was, it was a mess. The acting mayor for Maricopa, Vincent Manfredi, says he was alerted that one polling place wasn't providing the supplemental ballots. Are you concerned that people not only didn't get to vote in the municipal yeah. races, but also because of the ballot shortages, might not have gotten to vote at all. No, that, I know people that did not get to vote um, because they were turned away, but they had other things to do and they couldn't come back. Do you know how this ballot shortage happened? I'm not entirely sure how the ballot shortage happened. Today at a press conference, we were eventually told this was a human error. Quite frankly, we underestimated. But county officials couldn't tell us how many voters were impacted or how many ballots they should have ordered. We do know over 20 precincts did run low or run out. The elections director is in charge of ordering the proper number of ballots. This is the second major ballot error made under the supervision of county elections director David Frisk. Well, a major screw up like this, I, honestly, I would say, you know, the removal the director. Those same county officials say Frisk may not be elections director come November, but I was told Frisk today was still helping tabulate votes. It is our anticipation to have an investigation. It is uh, our intention to look at what happened, why it happened. The county attorney says as they move forward, they are looking at bringing experts in and getting outside advice. <laughs> they know why it happened. The way we do our elections department. And, that's, and, and the conversations are not just conversations. They are you know, truly, like, what do we do? The county ended the press conference trying to assure people this wouldn't happen again. It's happened once, <laughs> it's happened twice, it cannot happen a third time. In Florence, Ashley holds an ABC 15, Arizona. It cannot happen a third time. They said, oh, well. Come on with you. Uh, it cannot happen a third time. They know why it happened. They know exactly why it happened. And, look. I got a lot of thoughts going on in my head about this stuff right here. I got a lot of thoughts. And there are so many people that I have talked to, and you guys have heard me talk about it, when election time comes around. And you talk about, okay, when you're going to vote for somebody, that they have character, right? God has set up a place, or, or things in Scripture, whereby He speaks to our character individually, then he teaches that in the home through the Father, 
right? He teaches that in the home through the Father, and then he goes into the church and he teaches about character, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1 uh, where those who are in authority have character. They've demonstrated that character in their home. And now, what happens with a lot of Christians is, as soon as it goes beyond the church and it goes into the civil sphere, they go, oh, well, pfft. We don't need to learn. We don't need to remember all that stuff that uh, God taught us about ourselves, about in the family, and about in the church. We we don't need that. We can figure it out ourselves because we don't want a pastor in chief, right? We, we don't want representatives that we hold to a high character standard the way the Bible does. We'll hold them to a lower standard than somebody we would want in our pulpit. How foolish is that? Well, Tim, you don't understand. It's either you know this is the way they do: Joe Biden or it's Donald Trump or it's whoever. And it's the lesser of two evils. And again, where does the Bible tell you as a believer, you profess Christians out there, where does it tell you to ever select evil at any level? Where does it tell you to do that? Because if you're going to tell me that stuff, then you really need to stop. You either need to repent and correct your thinking on that, or you need to stop calling yourself a Christian. Because we're nowhere told in Scripture to select evil at any level. We're told to flee evil. We're told to leave that off. We're told to put those things off and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Tim, you live in an ivory tower. Hardly. <laughs> Hardly. And this is where it gets me to thinking, maybe we should quit looking to put men over us to be tyrants. Because that's what America has become. We're choosing which tyrant we want to rule over us. At whatever level, that's what we become. A people just like Israel that says, we won't have God rule over us. We want a king like the nations. We want a president like the nations. We want a prime minister, a representative, whatever you want to call them. We want just like everybody else. And we're getting the same results as everybody else, by the way. This is going to lead into what we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But i got one other thing I want to show you. Now, this is from different angles, and you guys on... Uh, <clears throat> Red State Talk Radio, you're just going to hear what's being, well, you're going to hear the sounds. Let's put it that way. <laughs> There's a guy, I think he's 80 years old, okay? He's got a, like a liquor, convenience, vape shop kind of deal. And so a bunch of guys get together and they said, we're going to go in and we're going to rob this guy. So the guy comes in. I'm just setting the picture for those on the radio because you guys on the other ones are going to see it, okay? The guy comes in with his AR-style rifle. The 80-year-old guy is waiting on him because he sees them through the camera of what they're doing. He's got his shotgun. <laughs> You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Bravo to this guy. Check it out. He shot my arm off. He shot my arm off. And you're going to see him. It's going to give you different angles. I'm sorry. The dude had it coming. He had it coming. Okay? Look at him. Look at cameras out there. He caught him coming in. The guy's ready for him. <laughs> the other guy can't even get in the car. 
<laughs> there's there's got to be four or five guys in this in this car. It's just, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Um, you know what, guy, whoever you are, you got what you deserve. You actually deserve more than that. Um, shot my arm off. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just too funny. It's too. You, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. This guy was. He should be on one of those shows. What was it? Um, uh, crooks are really stupid. Crooks are really dumb. You know, uh, dumbest criminals or whatever the case may be. Anyway, um, maybe during that process, God has something that he's doing in that young man's life to say, wait a minute, you almost lost everything. Uh, you need to repent. Maybe God takes that evil thing that was going on there and turns it for good. I pray that he does, but I'm going to tell you what. Good for the owner. I didn't get the guy's name. But good for the owner in doing it. And you know what? Every business owner in the United States should be doing the same thing. Yep, I said it. You should be armed against these kind of thugs. You start doing this, and these thugs don't come around anymore. You understand? This is the idea of defending, and even in a certain sense of justice, you know, when you go back in the Old Testament and you see that, and you, you look at, if somebody breaks in the house during the day and you can see them, it's one thing. You know, you're not necessarily to take their life unless they're trying to take yours. If they're, if they're a threat, if they're a real threat to you, you, you deal with them differently because more than likely they're there to steal something. Or whatever. They come in the night, that's on their head. The Bible says the blood is on their head. You kill them, sorry. Same thing in, in the daytime, if they're there to attack you, attack your family, or any of that other. Some of them might be there, and they might be hungry, and they might be trying to steal something to eat. And that's why it talks about in the daytime, you deal with it differently. But here's, here's a guy coming in at the dead of night, him and his buddies. And I could go back to uh, Proverbs 1, where it talks about don't go after those who lay in wait for innocent blood. Come on, we'll we'll get together and we'll we'll separate out this stuff. We'll 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 uh, we'll separate out the goods we're going to get from this person that we're going to kill. And I've told you guys about the the young man that uh, we used to run around with, and another guy that uh, I went to school with who had a twin brother, and then two of their buddies killing one of the bondsmen up here who was tied to Michael Jordan, the basketball player in Gastonia, North Carolina, just across the line from me. And that guy, I looked him up. He's still on death row. And this was back like in the 90s. Still on death row. The other three guys got 21 years. I imagine they're out by now. Or pretty close to being out. But this is what, this is what happened to him. So here's the thing. The other week I made mention of the issue of um, the love of God in, in, the, in the show. And a lot of people are familiar with, um, and I forgot to bring some of this up here, but what they'll do is they'll run over here to uh, John 3.16. And this has been ingrained, and I think it's been purposely done um, to ingrain this in people's heads, okay? And it is this verse that everybody can quote, or most people can quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And see, you'll, you'll hear the, um, the, the hirelings go up, and you'll hear everybody else go up, and they'll say, see, God loves just everybody the same, and 
you know, there's no differentiation in the love of God and, you know, everybody, and some people even come out and say, well, everybody's just going to heaven because see what Jesus did. That is not what the text says at all. In fact, let's just start there. And there's several texts I want to bring your attention to. By the way, there's a great book. Um, there's a lot of great books on the subject, many of them from the Reformers, but more of a modern-day version would be this one by John MacArthur, uh, The Love of God. And Love Him or Hate Him about John MacArthur. The book is good. The book is really good. It is. And uh, several years old. It's probably like two decades old. Anyway, let's look at what the context of John 3.16 is. Okay, shall we? Let's take a look. So Jesus says, right before that, he says, that whosoever, or let's put it this way, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now stop and think about that just a second. What happened when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? You remember the story. They're out there, and the fiery serpents are coming out, and they're biting the, the, the children of Israel, okay? And they're dying. And so what does God say to do? He says, Moses, I want you to get a staff. I want you to make a bronze serpent. I want you to put it around the staff. I want you to put it up in the middle of the camp. And when people look towards the serpent, which is a really strange thing, right? Don't you think? Why would you do a serpent? Because the serpent is sort of this image of Satan, right? This image of Satan. Now think about what Jesus became on the cross. Because he says, he'll say a little bit, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What did Jesus become on the cross? Did he become a serpent? No, he didn't become a serpent. But the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin that we might know the righteousness of God. Okay? So this is a picture of Christ. Later on, they would worship the serpent and they had to break that thing. They had to break it because it became an idol to them. But Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and those who looked upon that serpent were healed of the snake bites. Those who didn't died. You understand what's going on? And then he says this, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him, that's the son of man who's to be lifted up, should not perish, but have eternal life. So he's stating here real clearly who would be those who would perish, who would be those who would not. Okay? Then we come to verse 16, which is kind of reiterating what we just read in verses 14 and 15. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now stop and think about that for a second. We're told not to love the world, right? Nor anything in it. So we're not talking about loving the system of the world, the way the world works, or any of that kind of stuff. And I'm talking about the way man deals with things, okay? We're not to love those kind of things. But God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. Now stop and think about that. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's just like verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's what it says here. But have everlasting life. So when God gave his son what was it for? The literal translation is for the believing ones. That the believing ones should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, 
Jesus didn't go to the cross to die for, un- for the unbelieving. He went to die for the believing. This is why the message is always to those who are outside of Christ to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you go, how do I know that? Well, look at the context. Let's go a little further. Verse 17. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Well, you see see right there, Tim, he didn't come in to condemn the world. No, because the world was already condemned. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hate the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth trusteth or doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Hmm. Did you catch that? It says if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are condemned already. Men stand condemned. This is why they need a Savior. It's the, it's the whole point. And Christ is a Savior for those who believe. He is not a Savior for those who remain in their unbelief. He's not. And you say, well, see, there you give me an excuse. I can just brush this Christianity stuff off and the claims of Christ off. I can just brush it off because I'm an unbeliever. Well, wait a minute. See, this is where people get into a a mess. Just because this says this, just because the Bible talks about election, we'll we'll talk about that hopefully in just a little bit. And so, doesn't mean you or I, either one, know who the elect are, know who is the ones God's going to bestow his love upon in the fullness of that, and forgive their sin. The command is always repent, turn from your sin. I can't tell you how long I remain as I was, even with people calling me to repent, even with all of that. And yet, God in his mercy demonstrated his love. And we'll see some of this in some of the passages that I've got up this morning. I'm not going to do this. This is not going to be exhaustive, obviously, because I don't have 300-something pages to write is that how many pages this thing is? <laughs> it's a little over 200, uh, 230-something pages, this book here. Uh, but there's other ones. There are other great books, especially the, the further you go back uh, on this subject. Let me give you a, f- a few passages of Scripture, and we're going to look at the context because uh, we've talked about this before. Context is king, right, when we're looking at Scripture as to what God said. We don't want people taking our words out of context, right? So why would we do that with God? We don't want to do that. So the first place I want to go is John 15, verse 13. <clears throat> and in John 15, verse 13, here's what we read. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Are you keeping the commandments of the Lord? If you're not, then you're not abiding in his love. You're under his wrath. You're under his condemnation, what we just read out of John chapter 3. He says, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And Jesus did it perfectly. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, who is he talking to when he says this? Well, he's having the the time with his disciples, 
and he's speaking to those who have professed they believe in him. And he says, Ye, who's ye? Is that the world? No, that's the ones who are his disciples. Ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Those are his close ones. Those the one he has bestowed his love upon. Just as he said there in verse 12. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Hmm. See, he was the rabbi. He was the, the teacher. They were the disciples. They were the followers. And he says, you're my friends. You're not just, you know, you're not just servants in the house. You're not just um, some acquaintances I've run across. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me. Pay attention. These are Jesus' words. They're not John Calvin's. They're not Tim Brown's. These are Jesus' words. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So what's real love? Well, first of all, real love demonstrates what Jesus said. The greatest love that a man can demonstrate is to lay down his life for his friends. That's real love. Being willing to give up your life in order that another may live. You know, it's been said that freedom, we don't necessarily fight for our freedom. We fight for somebody else's freedom. Because the moment we stand up to fight for freedom and liberty is the moment our life is pretty much over. But we do it for the sake of those that we fight for. Our children, our wives, our friends. That's who we're doing it for. Okay? All right, so another place. This is John um, 10. Verse 15, and pay attention to who he has his love for. There in that passage, he had it for his disciples, right? All right, so here's the context of John chapter 10. And let's read what he says. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, who's, who, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. So if you've got a hireling, when we, when we speak about a hireling, in the pulpit, we're talking about a guy, he's there for, like Peter says in Second Peter chapter 2, he says that they're there for money or sexual favors. That's what a hireling is there for. He's not for the sheep. He's not there to preach the word of God. He's not there to uh, disciple those people that God has put under him. He says, when the wolf comes, they flee. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The, the wolf instills fear into the sheep because he gets this hireling that everybody thought was their, their shepherd. And the hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. He cares for himself, right? But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Oh, there's this intimate relationship between Jesus and his sheep. And then he says this. As the Father knoweth me, 
Even so know I the Father, and listen to what he says, I lay down my life for who? For the sheep. For the sheep. Now you guys remember over in Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about uh, there'll be a great separation of the sheep and the goats, right? Sheep go into the right, they get blessings from the Father, enter in my kingdom, good and faithful servant, and the other sides go away into destruction, right? The goats. What does Jesus say here? Does he say, I lay down my life for the sheep and the goats? Is that what he says? Uh-uh. Is that what he said in John chapter 15? No, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. Or uh, He says, I lay my life down for my friends, and he looks at the disciples and he says, you are my friends, you're not servants. So I want you to keep that in mind. Okay? And then he says this, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, who's he talking about there? Well, these guys are Hebrews. They're in Israel. But he has a bigger plan. He's going to reach the world, so he's going out to the who? The Gentiles, right? These are the ones he's talking about. These are sheep I have, which are not of this fold. They're not of the fold of the house of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not of the house of Israel, like geopolitical Israel. But they are, they're going to be Israel, <laughs> just like we see in uh, Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones when he says this is the whole house of Israel. Well, what is that? Is that just people who come from the physical line of Abraham? No. No, it's not. Because the book of Galatians tells us who are the seed of Abraham? Those who have the faith of Abraham. And that includes Jews and Gentiles alike. So this is what he's referring to. Therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. And see, i got to tell you, these guys don't get it. And I don't think we would get it if he's talking to us like this. We're like, well, what are you talking about laying down your life? What are you talking about going to Jerusalem and being killed and flogged and, and you're going to rise again? Well, what are you talking about, man? I mean, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the son of David. You're the son of man. You're the son of God. What are you talking about, this dying stuff? And you can understand why Peter would be like, well, Lord, may it not be. They don't, they don't understand what's going on. He says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. So he's pretty clear here. He's laying down his life, not for the sheep and goats, but for the sheep. Okay? Another passage that we'll look at. 1 John 3.16 Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about you have this love for um, you know everybody the same way? It's, it's what I refer to as the Budweiser love. Hey, man, I love you. You know, that old, there was an old commercial that had that. Hey, man, I love you. There's no demonstration of that love. It's just words that are falling out of the guy's lips, right? He says, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Those who have the same faith as Abraham, the same faith that we have, the faith of the Son of God. 
And I've talked about this before. Where is the church, the professed believers, where are they at in their love for one another? When they see their brother or their sister hurting, do they go and do they come to their aid? Or are they too busy with themselves? Hmm. Stop and think about that for a second. Jesus also told his disciples, all men will know that you're my disciples by what? Your love for the world? Nope. Your love for one another. They'll see that you love one another, that you care for one another. We're going to be interviewing uh, Pastor Art again tomorrow, probably play that on, on Thursday. And you see a love that he has for the people Not only in his church, but as he goes out and he ministers to others to bring them into the fold. Because he doesn't know who God's elect are, so he's commanded to preach the gospel to every creature. And that's what he does. And that's what we do. There's a love that that, that is there that demonstrates the love of God for us. And it's not a promiscuous love that's just flung willy-nilly. It is a specific love. He says they will know that you love that you are mine that you've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he says, "He that loveth not his brother abideth in death." I want you to stop and think about that. Do you love your brother? Do you hate your brother? If you hate your brother, you abide in death. You're not in the love of God. You're not in in Christ by doing that. Verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Let that one sink in. How many of you out there hate your brother? You despise them. You can't stand to be around them. He says, no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. You ready? Because he laid down his life for who? Who who is that? Hmm. John is writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. He laid down his life for us. These pronouns are, 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 it's a, there's a reason why we learn sentence structure and we learn pronouns and things of that nature so we can understand what's being said, Right? He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I don't think he has in mind, we're just laying down and dying. I don't think that that may ultimately be an ultimate sacrifice that we make out of our love. But it's we're willing to put aside our life. You know, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, what do you do? Take up your cross and follow me. Pick up the instrument of your death and follow me. And he says, but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need. See, this is what I'm talking about here. He seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Well, it doesn't. It's a rhetorical question. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but what? Indeed, 1 John 3.18, that's sort of the, the mantra of the Sons of Liberty here. But indeed and in truth... And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. 
So you can tell me that you love God all you want, but if you hate your brother, you're a liar. And John says the truth is not in you. He says that in 1 John. Also, man, I've got several places I really want to go with this. Talking about loving in deed and in truth, there is a portion here where Jesus confronts Peter after his betrayal, after his restoring him, he comes out. You remember Peter said, well, I'm just going back fishing, and all the disciples go back fishing with him, right? And they can't catch anything. And then the Lord shows up there on the beach, and he says, well, throw your nets over here. And he throws them over there, and what do they do? They catch a boatload, literally, of fish. they got to pull them in there. And what do you know? Jesus has already beat them to it. He's already got fish and bread on a fire there on the beach. How cool is that, right? They didn't see him throwing the rod out there, casting the net out there, or any of that stuff. He's already got it for him to feed them. Why? Because he loves them. They're his. And look at what he says here. This is from John chapter 21. This is after they've had breakfast. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? Because you remember, Simon was the guy who stood there the night of Jesus' betrayal, and he says, I'm a tough guy. I'm a rough. Don't you know what kind of fisherman I am? A rough guy. I'll love you to the end. I'll take a bullet for you, even though there weren't bullets then. Okay? I'll take a sword for you. I'll take a dagger. I'll take an arrow, whatever the case may be. I'll take that for you, Lord, because I love you. And Jesus said, You don't even know yourself, Peter. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. You don't know yourself. You, you don't know yourself. And he says this, Lovest thou me more than these, the other disciples that are sitting there? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Give them the truth. Teach them the truth. And he saith unto him again a second time. And remember, Peter had denied him three times. Now he's going to ask him three times. He saith unto him the, uh, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And the word love here is is transformed between the agape kind of love and the brotherly kind of love. The Philadelphia kind of love. That's what the term, that's what the city means. The city of brotherly love, right? He's asked him at first, do you love me wholeheartedly, unconditionally? That's what he's asking him at first. Do you love me like God loves you? And then he comes down this third time. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you even love me like a brother? Oh, can you, I mean, you've got to understand the wordplay that's going on. Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength the way you're commanded in Deuteronomy 6? He's asked that over and over. And then Jesus comes and he goes, Simon, do you even love me like a brother? Can you imagine how this cut to his heart? Peter was grieved. Because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, 
Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. And then listen to what he put out. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkedest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Now, watch what happens. Because Peter gets it. Jesus is saying, you're going to demonstrate your love for me in the way you're going to die. And you're going to die when you're old. You've got, I've got a mission for you to do, but you're going to die when you're old. And Peter turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we assume that is John, who's writing the the text here. He seeth him, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, you've got this terrible death ahead of me for me. What about this guy over here? What about John? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It's a whole unpacking of eschatology right there. And we see that. In the Mount of Transfiguration, John's up there too. Jesus says, if I want him to stay till I come again, then, uh, yeah, I can do that. But notice what Peter does. Again, he gets his eyes off... Well, what about these guys? you got all this, this terrible future for me. What about these guys? And Jesus says, don't worry about them. You do what I tell you to do. And you know what? Peter did that. He eventually did that. Had some stumbles and bumps along the way, but he eventually did that. There's more. Go back into John chapter 15. I want you to notice this about the love of God, too. Beginning at verse 7 in John chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Why? Because you're sons of God, of the Father. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Now, Some people will jump into this and they'll go, okay, well, bearing much fruit is you're producing a lot of disciples. Well, that may be. That may be. But when fruit is used, it's talked about what? The fruit the Spirit bears within us, right, and outside of us. It's love, joy, peace, patience, right, self-control. All these kinds of things are the fruit of the Spirit. We're to bear that fruit before men. As I prayed for my son uh, before he went off to work today and blessing him, praying that those he works for and that he works around, that they would see his good deeds and they would glorify the Father in heaven, right? This is, th- this is what we're talking about. And he goes on and he says this, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, 
even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Hmm. How does Christ abide in the love of the Father? By being one with him. Keeping his commandments. How are we abiding in Christ? By loving him and keep, and how is that shown? By keeping his commandments. This is not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that what? Ye love the world. Nope. That ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, this picks up back where we were talking about before, and he says, you guys are my friends. You're not servants. You're my friends. Think about that for a second. That the one who spoke the worlds into existence called them friends, and we find out later, like in the book of Ephesians, And we're going to go over a little bit. So if you guys who are listening by Red State Talk Radio, because, frankly, this is so rich. I I mean, I could sit here for three, four, five, six, seven hours just going through scriptures, talking about what the love of God is and what it's not. Because the world wants to tell you the love of God says, just remain in your sin. You don't have to keep God's commandments. You don't have to follow hard after Christ. You don't. There's no change in your life. You just tack Jesus on, put him on your shoulder. He's your little guardian angel, and you get some fire insurance or whatever the, case, whatever the message is. You just, and won't you come? You know, the Billy Graham thing. Won't you come? Come to what? Come to the front? Come to the anxious bench? Come to the altar? None of that stuff's biblical. Won't you stop sinning? And come to Christ? Or do you love your sin more than you love the one who gave himself for sinners? See, that's really the question here. That's really what we're focused on. And what I want to do is, I've got a couple of passages here that I want to bring to your attention, uh, because I think they're very, very much, uh, very important. But I'll leave you with this final thing, those of you on the radio, and if you want to join us, sonsoflibertymedia.com, that's where you want to go, beforeitsnews.com. Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live or DLive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. Here's what he says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So friends, listening by way of Red State Talk Radio. Friends listening by the video platforms. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It's not. And you need to repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to follow him. Catch Bradley at 3. We'll be back with you in the morning. Lord willing, 6 a.m. Adios. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. Now, these are going to be a little bit long, okay? I'll try to get it wrapped up in 30 minutes. I'll try to do that. Um, I didn't know if I would even be able to go a little further here, but this passage right here, most of you know that... I'm adopted. So I have some bit of understanding, even though I was adopted when I was like one or two months old, something like that. I have some understanding of what adoption entails. You know, my mom and dad just didn't get whatever child God gave them, you know, popping out of my mom's belly, right? I mean, they didn't get that. They went and chose me. They picked me among other children. They set their love upon me. They didn't set it upon other children. 
They made me their heir. They didn't do that for other children. Do you understand what that's like? How many people have ever seen the film Ben-Hur? Great film. Charlton Heston. And you have in that story that Ben-Hur, all along, you know, he keeps encountering the Christ along the way. But one of the things is, in that story is, this Roman general who has overseen the boat that Heston plays the, the part in, as a slave, he's one of those guys rowing the oars, right? The ship gets torn up, it gets destroyed, and the Heston character, Ben-Hur, he, he goes, dives into the ocean, he saves this Roman general who has overseen his affliction and the affliction of those around him. And he saves him. And you know what happens? That general takes and makes Ben-Hur his son, and he puts a ring on his finger. Hmm. Remember that from the prodigal son? He clothes him in the finest attire, and he says, I'm adopting him today. They have a big old, it's a big pomp and splendor and all this stuff because it's a big deal. This guy was a slave, and now he is now the son of a Roman general. And we get that from Ephesians 1. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Does God do this for everybody? Nope, he doesn't. He doesn't do it for everybody. Take a look at Ephesians 1. One of my favorite passages, and understand, this is, this is the New Testament church in its infancy. It has a lot of Old, Old Testament believers that have come in, they put their faith in Christ, they see the salvation of God in the Christ. Okay, so this is written in the first century. And I want you to imagine that you are a believer reading what is said here. Because it has nothing to do with you as far as your faith, your will, your might, any of that stuff. It's all about what God did in them. And this is what he says. <sighs> oh, I was over here. Sorry, I'm out, of, I'm out of place. Let me back up just a second. I'm in Ephesians 5. I don't know why I'm over there. Oh, I was in Ephesians 5 because I wanted to make mention of uh, the husband and the wife. Okay, so we'll do that in a second. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, who is he writing to? He's writing to believers in the Lord Jesus. He's not writing to the world. This is why it's important when you read these books that you see, who is he writing to? He's writing to the church. He's writing to the faithful in Christ. He's writing to the saints. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you have come out of the world, and you have faith, real faith in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, yes, we, we talk about us as sinners, you are a saint. God has declared you as such. Understand that. Okay? Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, not everybody in the world, but us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is going to get heavy for some of you. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice what he says. 
Verse 4, He hath chosen us, not we chose him, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Let that sink in for a second. The God of creation, if, you're, if you've been born again, if you are a child of God, he chose you before the foundation of the world. Before there was anything, he chose you. Then in verse 15, he says, he predestined us unto the adoption of children. In other words, what does that term mean? He had a destiny beforehand, pre, beforehand, destinated, a destiny. And what was that destiny? That we would be a, the, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Not according to our goodness. We already know that. First John tells us it isn't according to our works. It isn't any of these things that he chose us, but according to his mercy. Here he says, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why would he choose somebody like this? The good pleasure of will, his will, because it certainly wasn't because of me. It wasn't because of my heart. It wasn't because of my mind. It wasn't because I'm cute, I'm lovable, any of these kind of things. It's because of the good pleasure of his will. Because the fact of the matter is, he should have destroyed Tim Brown a long time ago. And if you're honest with yourself, he should have destroyed you too. But that's not what he says. He did this so that he would be glorified. God is not an idolater. He saves men that he doesn't have to save. He's not obligated to save a one of us. So people can't go, well, why is he saving? Why didn't he save everybody? Well, the question is, why does he save anybody? None of us are worth saving. I mean, if we really know ourselves, we, we know that. So he tells us this. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. We, not the world, we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In other words, he's not asking you about your will. He's not asking you about what you want to do. He's doing it because of his will. God is not bound. You know, men want to talk about their free will. But really, the only one who has free will, in that sense, is God himself. And even he doesn't have it at the extent that men want to try to apply it to themselves. Why? You say, why do you say that, Tim? Well, let me ask you something. Can God sin? Wouldn't that imply that that's infringing on his free will? No. This is part of his character that he does not sin, nor can he sin. James tells us that. He can't be tempted with sin, nor can he sin. And yet, what does he do here? He has a purpose, and it's according to the counsel of his own will. He's not 
asking the angels, hey, what do you guys think I should do here? He's not asking men, what do you think I should do? This is his own will that he does this. He goes on and he says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. And remember, he's writing to saints. He's not writing to the world. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So we've got an inheritance. We are heirs. And the Bible says joint heirs with Christ Jesus in all things. Unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, why he's called you into this, why he's put you into Christ, why he's made you an heir, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward usward, not towards the world, toward usward, toward the saints, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that filleth all in all. And then we move over into a passage where a lot of people are familiar. Chapter 2. Remember, there's no chapter and verse divisions and all this kind of stuff right here. This is all one thing in context. So he's told us that we've been predestinated. We've been chosen. We've been shown God's love. We've been made heirs. All of that. Okay? And then he says this. And you he hath quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Doesn't say you did it, says he did it. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we can look not to our own goodness, not to our will, not to our, even our faith or our belief or any of this. We can't look to anything about ourselves as to why we're in the position we're in before the Lord Jesus. We, he's the one doing it. We don't make ourselves born again. Let me ask you something. You guys out there had children. Did you, were you the ones determining when, if you're a woman, when you conceived or if you're a man, when your sperm was going to connect with your wife's egg? Nope, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. God did that. He had a good purpose in it. He had planned it out beforehand. The same thing is true with those who are born again. You don't just up and make yourself born again. You don't. It is the Spirit of God. Go back and read John chapter 3 there with Nicodemus being born again. He says, Jesus says it's like the wind. 
And I think it's an allusion to Ezekiel when, when he goes out and prays to the, uh, to the, or when he preaches to the Valley of Dry Bones. It is to bring the whole house of Israel together, it is to make them alive, right? That's what it says. In this passage, here's what we see. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Again, not the world, not in the sense of what everybody wants to make it be, which he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. In other words, he came around and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Tim, come forth. Carolyn, come forth. Mateo, come forth. Jill, come forth. He, he called us by name out of the deadness of our sin and gave us new life. He gave us a new birth. He showed us mercy. Even though we're unw- unworthy of it, he showed it to us. Why? Because he set his love upon us. That's Ephesians 1. He set his love upon us. Does he do that for the goats? Well, Tim, I'm just a goat. I'm just an old sinner. Well, you may be. That doesn't mean there's not hope that you are going to be transformed into a sheep. This is why the gospel is necessary to be preached. The gospel is always preached to what appear to be goats. That's what it appears that they are. But really, they're his sheep. Okay? Let's go on. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's already a done deal. We're not waiting to do that. He says he's already raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show exceeding, exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. See, it's all about his glory. It's not about ours. It's about His glory. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, in other words, no man can come out and say, I did this, I chose this, I was more enlightened, I was more spiritual, uh, I just, you know, I'm smarter. There's nothing you can do to boast about the fact that you're a child of God. There's, There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to boast about that. And then he goes on and he says, verse 10, For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All of this, this before, this predestinated, this, this choosing, God choosing, and all of that shows us that we're the handiwork of God. And that he's the one doing in us. Philippians tells us that he works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's what it says. That's what it says. One more passage I'm going to bring, and then we'll kind of close out here with this issue of love. And again, we can we can go down a long way on the issue of the love of God. But there's another passage I want to bring your attention to because it's often misquoted. It's completely out of context. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we've been through this before, but there are false prophets, right? They're among the people. And you remember, when you go back in Deuteronomy, you'll see false prophets. 
And God says you're not to be afraid of them. They, they tell you something's going to come to pass, and it doesn't. You're to have a rock party with them. You're to put them down. And he says he sends them in the midst of the people. Why? To see if you love the Lord your God. Then you have false prophets who come along, and they'll tell you something's going to happen, and it does happen, but they lead you after a God you have not known. Well, you're not to fear of those guys either. Okay? But immediately, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, if you want to see what a false, uh, the false prophet looks like, you, you, can, you can go there and you can read that. There's a, there's a great word picture there for that. But when you come over into 2 Peter chapter 3, and a lot of people will quote 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 9, they'll say, oh, God's just willing that everybody, you know, that all this stuff is, is, would, would come to repentance. Everybody. That's the way they quote it. But I want you to look at the context. I want you to look at the pronouns that are used. And you see when you read it, the way it's meant to be written, and again, let me just back up, okay, so that, that we come to the first like we did with Ephesians and the other passages. This is from Second Peter chapter 1. I want you to notice who he's writing to. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Okay, so who is, who is Peter writing to? Well, he's writing to those who have like precious faith. He's writing to believers, right? He's not writing to the world. He's writing to believers. Okay? So, keep that in mind because you're going to write a letter. You're going to keep that in context. Who you're writing to, who you're not writing to, right? So when we come to 2 Peter chapter 3, remember this comes after chapter 2. Again, no chapters, no verses, but it does, the way we understand it, the way we read is it comes like this. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, what do you read? Well, you read about these false teachers. And it, by the way, it marks them out beforehand too. That they have been predestinated to their own judgment. Mm. They've been set to that. And then 2 Peter chapter 3 says this. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So he's writing unto them, and he's stirring up their pure minds. Who is that? That's the saints. That's those who have like precious faith. And he says, um, that ye may be mindful of the words which are spoken, again, that ye, that's you, may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. By the way, we've been in last days since, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Beforehand he talked to the prophets. Then he, in the last days he spoke to us through his son, the Lord Jesus, right? These last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Okay, so now we, we're introduced with the scoffers. So he's been writing to them, ye, you, all of this. Now he says, there's scoffers coming, right? And they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Everything's going on just like it did. They're, they're like the people in Noah's day. Everything's going on. We haven't seen no rain. We don't even know what rain is. Remember, they just had the dew of the ground. At least that's all we were told. They just had the dew of the ground that would come up and would water the earth. 
Verse 5. For this they, not the saints, not the ones he's writing to, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, this is the antediluvian world, the world before Noah, uh, before the flood, being overflowed with water, perished. They forget that God judged men. That's what they're forgetting. That God has judged men. And verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now notice what he says here. But beloved... Now, who's the beloved? Is that the world? Is that the scoffers? Is that the false teachers of, and false prophets of 2 Peter chapter 2? Nope. This is the saints. These are the people he's writing to, the believers who have like precious faith. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And here's where people stumble, but pay attention to who's, who's being mentioned here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering towards who? who? Who is that? That's not the world. That's not every person in the world. He is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish. Now, who's the any here? Well, he just told you. He's long-suffering towards usward, towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all, all of who? All of us, that's the context. The pronouns speak for themselves. All should come to repentance. All of his people, whom we've read about in Ephesians 1, all those that we read about, we could read about them in 1 Peter chapter 1, all of those that he speaks about in John, in the Gospels, in 1 John, all of those will come to repentance. And guess what? Every single person will come to repentance who are his. They will. But how do they do that? Do they just do that on their own? Nope. Paul says they need to hear the gospel, and they need to believe in that gospel. And how are they going to do it unless there's a preacher? Hmm? How are they going to hear, hear and believe in the word of God unless there's a preacher to declare that word to them? They're not. So when I have friends say, oh, God's just going to save whoever he'll save, and, and that's the end of it, and we, you know, all we got to do is kind of mind our own business and this, that, and that. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. Because God uses means to accomplish his, per his, his, uh, his purposes. Right? He does that to accomplish his purposes. And there you go. What is the love of God? Well, the Bible tells us that God himself is love. Do you know that God doesn't need you or I to be love? Nope, he's got that under control all by himself. There is love within the Godhead, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's love between them. They're united in that. But he's, cho he's, he's chosen to show his glory by loving us. Those who are his. And you say, well, Tim, I, I don't think I'm one of his. I don't, I don't believe in this, but maybe you're convicted about your sin today. Whatever that is, a violation of his law, stealing, adultery, um, killing, dishonoring your parents, having other gods before you, making carved images, 
coveting other people's things, bearing a false witness to them, taking the Lord's name in vain. All, you break it in one place, you've broken in the whole thing, haven't you? This is why we need a Savior from sin. Then the Bible calls you to repentance. Now, if you're willing to repent, you're willing to meet God on His terms and leave that sin behind and follow after Jesus, then do so and bear the fruit that we talked about a minute ago. You want mercy? I've said it before, I'll say it again. You want mercy from God? Then come to Him on His terms and cry out for mercy, and you'll have it. And you'll have it. But here's the thing I want you to get. One of the things that we read about in Ephesians 5 is this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, out there, you're a picture of the bride of Christ. You're a picture of the church. Husbands, you're a picture of Christ. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved who? The world? Nope. The church. And gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So there is, there is a way, again, many people don't want to give God this, this uh, they don't want to give him this attribute. They want to say, no, no, God just has to love indiscriminately. That's not in the Scripture. It's just not there. In fact, he doesn't say he saves every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, does it? In the book of Revelation. It says he saves people out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. God's love is specific. He places his love upon his people. Those for whom Christ gave his life. So you say, well, but it says, you know, we love the world and this, that, and the other. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let me see if I can pull up this other one. I forgot to pull this up, but it's hitting, it's kind of hitting me now. Um, let's just see what that is. So John is writing to the little children. Now, remember, the bulk of the, of the first century uh, believers were out of they were they were composed of what they referred to themselves as as Jews. Okay, there were there were Gentiles already coming in. In fact, if we go back in the Old Testament, we'll see there were Gentiles in Old Testament Israel too. They were just in a smaller number. Now in the New Testament, what happens? The Gentiles are are the large number in the church. Okay, or in the ecclesia or the assembly of the people of God. But we have this from John. What does he say here? My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's writing to them, and he says, well, okay. He's already talked about the issue of not practicing sin. The, the believer doesn't do that anymore. He puts those things off. But he says, and if a man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, that is Christ, 
is the propitiation for who? Our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, Tim, that seems contradictory. Well, depends on how you're seeing things. If you're seeing that John is talking to a largely Jewish audience, he's saying, wait a minute, guys, don't forget something here. God is bringing the Gentiles in, too. He said he would do so in the Old Testament. He would make us a light unto the Gentiles. So this isn't just for us to heap upon ourselves like our forefathers did. They heaped their blessings on themselves in Israel, and they kept it to themselves. No, no, no. This is for the world. This is to be taken, as Jesus said, in Jerusalem, and then you go out into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Why? Because God is saving people out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation of the world. This is not hard to understand. Because if the, if the reality is, is this, if Jesus has paid for the sins of every single person who's ever lived, I want to ask you something. Why doesn't he get what he paid for? Well, they were unbelieving. Well, so were we. But as we've read, God did something in us that he's not doing to them. Why do people die under the judgment and the condemnation of God? As we read about in John chapter 3, for those of you who know John chapter 3, 16, you join us late. What does he mean there? If you're an unbeliever, you're under condemnation. Why does he do that? Because that's not what God has done. God has saved his people that he might be glorified in them. Look, somebody came up the other day when I, while we were in um, uh, on the show, and they said, oh, it sounds like Judaism. No, friend, Judaism is this idea that you're saved by your Jewishness, by keeping the, the, the law or whatever they make up as the law, because they don't keep it either. That's Judaism. That's a false gospel. It is an antichrist. Doctrine of demons is what it is because it rejects the Christ. First John, read First John. You want to know what antichrist is? Go read that. First and second John. That's the only place antichrist shows up in the scriptures. Go read what that is. Now, friends, if you know the love of God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That he set it upon you. You didn't go looking for it. And he, he wasn't promiscuous with his love, just scattering it out everywhere. No, he set it upon you. He adopted you. He applied the blood of Christ to you. He applied the righteousness of Christ to you. And was it because you did something great? You figured it out? You got more spiritual? got more righteous? You had more enlightenment? No, it's none of that. We read from the passages why he did it. So that the glory of his grace might be praised. Let me ask you, have you experienced that? Do you know what it is to be adopted by the Father and brought into the household of faith and made a son or a daughter of the living God, the creator of all things? Do you know what that's like? Or do you just got this going on? Because I had a bunch of this going on for a long time. Because I did whatever they said to do. But I was never told, or maybe I was told, and I was just deaf to it, you got to be born again. You must be born again. 
you must have your heart of stone taken out, that old stony heart of a dead man taken out, and a heart of flesh come in. And I'm going to tell you what, you will not do that on your own. It is the grace of God that will do that. That's it. Nothing else will do it. And if he seeks to do that, if that is his good purpose in you, then he will do it. Nevertheless, you're still responsible to him for turning from your sin, putting your faith in Christ, and reaping the benefits of that. You really are. You're still responsible for it. How can I be responsible for it? I, you're saying that I'm, I'm dead in my sins. You're responsible. Because you know to do it, and you don't do it. See, your will is bound in sin. And you need somebody to come and take the shackles of that slavery of sin off of you. And the only person who can do it is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only person who can do it. And I would bid you today, come, know the real love of God. Not this syrupy, sloshy, touchy-feely love that's talked about. But the real love of God that proves itself in a demonstration of love for his people. Guys, have a great day. Uh, catch Bradley at 3, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning at 6 a.m. Talk to you then. See you.